0: Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between.
1: All right. It's episode two of pain Points of Wealth, the news in plain sight. You've seen the headlines. Well, we're going to give you the real story. And guys, what's the real story here? The market is going up and up and up. But meanwhile, all I can hear about from my clients, from the news media is there's a huge disconnect between the stock market and the economy, which I guess is a fair point because last time I looked, we're in this deep, dark recession right now. How can the market keep
2: going higher? I mean, amazing, right? We've had economic numbers that we haven't seen since the Great Depression, right? We have unemployment rates that were unheard of, you know, since 1929. And suddenly the stock market's going up like there's no tomorrow. Well, the fact of the matter is, the stock market is not the economy, and the economy is not the stock market. It's almost as if there's a time warp in terms of how the two are connected. And they are connected, just not connected the way everybody wants it to be. You
3: know, I feel like whenever I watch the news, I feel like there wouldn't be any news if it wasn't just bad news. And one thing, that they're not talking about is right now 84% of companies have beat analyst expectations. Are you guys ready for this by an average of almost 22%? And nobody's talking about it.
2: Well, I guess those analysts that made those estimates might be talking about it, Chris. They have egg on their face.
1: Well, that seems to be the story of this market, right? All the economists, all the analysts, they've just been so, so negative. And they've been really essentially getting us prepared for like the worst case scenario. And meanwhile, they've been dead wrong, right? They talked about how we we're going to see a double dip in the economy. The market was going to do a double dip. It was going to go up, it was going to go down again. And all we've seen here is what we call v shape recovery the whole time. And the market's been telling us that the whole time. So it's kind of interesting right now, how can Wall Street get it so wrong?
2: Well, you know, right, and I feel bad for investors, especially new investors. I mean, it's so counterintuitive. You know, you sit there and you read the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and you watch the financial news and you try and gather all this information to make an informed decision, and the market doesn't care about whether the news is good or bad. It only cares about whether things are getting better or getting worse. And, you know, things are getting better and anticipated even getting better going forward because now companies are gonna benefit from all the havoc that's been wreaked upon us by this coronavirus.
3: Yeah, I agree, dad. And it's like, there's a lot of investor anxiety out there. I mean, I think right now there's something like $4.5 trillion just sitting in cash, you know, waiting for that aha moment to get in. But the thing that people really forget about is there's this little pesky thing called inflation. And with cash getting less than 1% returns, inflation averaging like 3% over time, it's a guaranteed loser.
1: Well, it's like the old proverbial you hear this all the time now is, it's Tina, right? There is no alternative Your money has to go somewhere. And I think that's actually true here because if you look at the 10 year treasury, if you factor in inflation, you're getting a negative 1% return. Like, why would I ever put my money into something that's going to guarantee me a negative 1% return? Meanwhile, you know, going back to your point, Chris, if I have all this money sitting in cash, I see all these big dividend paying stocks right now that are really selling cheap, that you can get all this great income. At some point, my guess is investors have to capitulate. They can't just sit in cash and get no return. We need to grow our money.
2: Again, right. It's counterintuitive. You know, There was a movie back when you guys probably weren't even born yet, Desperately Seeking Susan. Now I'm putting out a new movie. It's called Investors Desperately Seeking Income. And while they're needing income worse than ever in the history of my lifetime, you got interest rates at record lows, lifetime lows, and you still have $4.5 trillion of investors' money sitting in cash waiting for somebody to ring the bell or wave the flag. It's really a shame. Yeah. And
1: I think the big thing here is this misconception because I think we hear a lot on the news, is the market is missing something, right? All of a sudden, it's like, we're talking about it right now, but somehow the market, which is basically to collect the collective wisdom of everyone, thinking about every stock, thinking about every scenario in the future, and somehow the stock market is missing the fact that, well, we could have a second wave of the coronavirus, right? Or the economy is not going to be a straight line to recovery, how's the market missing that?
2: <laughs> it's not missing that. Well, the market's not missing it, just investors are missing it because traditionally all markets climb what we call a wall of worry, right? We have the proverbial wall of worry. Now, once coronavirus is resolved or once this election's behind us, guess what they're going to do? They're going to come up with a new wall. Huh.
1: We're going to come up with something else to worry about. Right. That's exactly right. And I think that's where it gets really dangerous here because we have an old saying, and I think it's a great saying, if it's in the press, it's in the price. So don't be so naive to think that somehow the market's disconnected. It just comes back to what we were talking about before. If the economy is what's already happened, right? We already know unemployment is where it is because that just happened. The market's looking forward into what could happen. And Let's be real, guys. It's been extremely accurate here because the market was selling off before we went into lockdown. The market was able to anticipate by the whole global economy being locked down, well, that was going to be very bad. and That's why we saw the market literally go down 30% within 22 trading days. It anticipated it ahead of time Just like conversely right now, the market was way ahead of the economy recovering because the market's looking into the future.
2: You know, Ryan, last week you were talking about how big tech was. Well, you know, since our last podcast, tech's gotten a lot bigger. Yeah, that's right, Bob. The five
1: biggest stocks in the S&P 500 are now 23% of the index. It's not the S&P 500. It's the S&P five.
3: Yeah, that's incredible, Ryan. You know, I don't know anybody that would really want to bet their future on just five stocks. It doesn't sound very diversified to me.
2: Again, you know, you go back in history and you study history, and, and again, valuation is not a way, not a means to time the market because valuations can stay overvalued a lot longer, and you can stay solid. But when you look at the size of these mega tech companies that are trading at about forty-seven times earnings, when you look at the cheapest stocks. In the Nasdaq and they're only trading at eleven times earnings. I mean, that's a big disconnect. At some point the markets are gonna to revert to the mean. That rubber band is gonna snap back. Well, it's exactly right. And I always get nervous because now
1: Wall Street's justifying that these tech stocks are worth what they are. Look, I think Apple's an amazing company, but how is it worth another eight hundred billion dollars this year? It's like there's no new things going on with their business model. We knew about five G. <laughs> you know, it's not like all of a sudden they've got a whole completely new paradigm change that would warrant that kind of growth.
3: You know what, right? I completely agree with you. I will tell you I'm definitely not giving up on my big tech stocks at this point, but I have to tell you there's a lot of other places out there that have much greater value. I mean, anything on the value side of the market is cheap right now. Low valuations, anything international, emerging markets, there's a lot better places, a lot bigger bang for your buck. And not to mention, I feel like all those big tech companies, they really don't pay huge dividends whereas on the value side, international side, you're also getting income with your growth.
2: Hey, Chris, I couldn't agree with you more. I think about first in, first out. The first countries that were hit with this pandemic were overseas, right? There was Europe. It was Italy. It was China. And now they're coming out of it a lot sooner than we are. And guess what? Their activity is outpacing the US right now. And uh, they're also still relatively cheap. I like cheap, Chris. You know what? Good things happen to stocks with cheap prices.
1: That's right. I mean, again, we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but you're seeing that rotation. Foreign markets are going up right now. The dollar is weakening, which is very good for foreign stocks and commodity prices as well. So we're seeing a lot of other things go up too. It's not just big tech, even though big tech gets all the headlines. And I think the other point to think about here is big tech does not benefit from the economy reopening, right? The reason big tech did so well is because we were locked up. right? We were ordering more stuff off of Amazon. I've been on more Zoom calls than I care ever to be in my life. So as the economy reopens, it's almost like the anti-tech trade. So I think when you're building your portfolio right now, you've got to start thinking about what's going to benefit when the economy reopens. And really, tech is not going to be the place to be. And that's why it's just so important here to be diversified.
2: You know, Ryan, I agree with you. I think these tech headlines are getting all the headlines, but like we say in this segment, we're going to tell you the real story. And the real story is China hit a new high, five-year high in their stock market last month. And then just in the past week, Germany hit a new high in their stock market. Nobody's hearing that. Nobody's seeing that. It's not making the headlines. That's the story. Okay, guys, this is the tipping point. Each week, we're going to
1: pinpoint a pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. So guys, you know, in our planning practice, I mean, we basically focus on planning. And I found there's like five questions everybody really needs to ask themselves when they're trying to build their financial plan. If you can't answer all five of these questions, you've really got to go back to the drawing board. And I think the big misconception about retirement is, you think you're gonna spend less money once you retire. You know, a lot of times you'll hear the rule of thumb is 80%. And what we learned is
2: that's just not true. Well, that's the problem. It's those riverboat commercials. They hook everybody. You know, the first year in retirement, you hit that retirement euphoria, and all of a sudden you're spending hundred and twenty percent more than you planned on spending on your budget.
3: Yeah, that's true too, Dad. And the other thing that people don't think about is they think they're gonna give less money to their children and their grandchildren. But the reality is is that for some reason that money always finds its ways into their kids' kids' and grandkids' pockets. And by the way, that's okay as long as you plan for it.
2: Chris, you telling me the children are the gift to keep on taking?
3: <laughs> that's right, Dad.
2: Only Chris. Well, I think
1: that's the thing is you don't realize when you have more time on your hands, you have more time to spend money. So you'll plan on spending more, not less, I think is the message here. If you're going to put together a financial plan, think about you're going to need more money
2: in retirement, not less money in retirement. That's kind of the moral of the story here. And one of the things that's happening in the health industry is that we're living longer because they're coming out with better remedies. Just take what's happening now with the coronavirus. You know, we're all wearing masks and we're doing everything we can to not contract that horrible disease. but We're also not catching the flu, the common cold, strep throat, all the other things that are out there. So suddenly we're healthier, and you've got the pharmaceutical industry and 100 companies around the world looking for a vaccine for coronavirus. They're going to find cures for lots of other things while they're doing it.
3: Yeah, that's a good point, Dad. And the one thing that I often point out to my clients is they'll say, oh, Chris, I'm not going to live to 100. I'm not going to live to 95. But the thing I always point out is that, like you said, Healthcare is getting better. People are living longer. And the main goal here is that you want your money to
1: outlive you, not the other way around.
2: And the cost of healthcare keeps rising. The problem
1: here, and the good news is you're going to live longer. The bad news is it's not your parents' retirement. There's just so much more money you're going to need between money for the grandkids, money for the kids, traveling, playing golf. But then you have, again, any sort of ancillary medical expenses. And above and beyond that, you have inflation. Things are going to cost more. Your purchasing power gets cut in half like literally every 20 years. The paradigm for retirement has just changed so much. It's not like when dad had retirement, he
2: had a social security and maybe called you for some extra money. Number one rule of financial planning is never take your father on as a client. Your grandfather would call me from the golf course and then I would call him actually and tell him that you know he had a check bouncing. And he said, what's the problem? Put some money in the account and he'd hang up on me.
3: <laughs> well, right. I guess we're not taking dad on as a client.
2: Yes, Chris, the proverbial
1: high maintenance client. <laughs> so I think this brings up another point. Where's the income going to come from? right? If you know you're going to live longer, you have inflation, you have healthcare costs, How are you going to make your portfolio last? And I think one of the biggest problems today, as we see this all the time, is a lot of you are just sitting with so much cash right now, earning no return, and you know you're going to need a return in retirement. Sitting in cash is
2: not going to get you to your goals. No, because the biggest risk we all have—I mean, every single one of you has the same risk—and it's inflation. It's hidden. It's insidious. It's a tax, and the cost of living is going to double every twenty years. You have to have your money grow. You have to have that income to generate because, last I checked, you can't buy lunch with relative performance. You need cash.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Dad. And you know, something kind of amazing happened. I realized during this whole pandemic crisis when the market pulled back. And, you know, I always say you get a better outcome with income, but people often forget that their portfolio is not 100% driven by just the market going up. Their portfolio also generates interest from their bonds and dividend from their equities. And during this whole pandemic, one of the things I noticed about my clients is that their income that was generated from their portfolio didn't really change all that much. So that's something they can really depend on in addition to things like Social Security or if they're lucky enough, a pension.
2: So I guess the big question is, guys, and I think this big question on everyone's mind is, all right, well, where do I draw this income from? And if I have a little shortfall, you know, where do I draw a principal from? How do you make that decision on a portfolio? What needs to go in and what needs to go out?
1: Yeah, I think it's almost like farming, right? I mean, a really good portfolio is kind of like having a farm where you have lots of different crops, And, you know, we've used the analogy for like a hundred years. So anyone knows us heard this a lot. And it's kind of like, okay, well, this year, you know, the corn's having a great harvest. That's where we're going to pull from. And that's where diversification comes in, right? I mean, if you have things in your portfolio, like we talked about big tech in the first segment today, big tech is up big this year. It doesn't pay a lot of cash flow, but you can sell off your shares of Apple. They're just as green as a dividend payment. So it's really about harvesting your portfolio over time and having a strategy around that.
2: Well, the problem is a lot of you don't realize that you're supposed to buy low and sell high. So what most of us like to do is let our winners continue to run. And then we sell our losers, which it's like having a garden where you tear out the plants that haven't borne fruit yet, and then you just let the other fruit rot on the vine. It doesn't make sense when it comes to gardening, but it makes all the sense in the world when you're running a portfolio.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And even when you take those big gains, a lot of times there's taxes involved with that. So there are also strategies out there that you can use, swap out things that are lost to offset those taxes and save a lot of money in taxes, which also helps having more income and retirement.
2: And don't forget the state, Chris. The state likes to take their big bite of the apple too.
1: Well, that's the other thing. And we keep going back to planning, but I mean, really, it is about taxes as well. We always say it's not what you make, it's what you take. And that becomes another question on your portfolio. And you can see how complicated this gets because it comes down to where do I draw from on my portfolio? Do I draw from my retirement accounts first? Do I draw from my brokerage account first? Cause the other thing is, you know, you see that big retirement account. It's got lots of money in it, but you forget maybe 30 to 40% of that's going to go to the government. So like, you know, cut it by a third. And that's really what you have in that portfolio after taxes.
2: Well, how many times guys, have we run wealth projections where someone just does a straight line analysis? They don't factor in that insidious tax you're going to pay when you start to withdraw from these accounts. Taxes can destroy your retirement, but there's ways around it, legally, legal ways around it, you just have to plan for these things. You can't just let life happen to you.
3: You know, I heard a great quote recently that said, "Give unto Caesar that of which is Caesar's, but don't give him any of yours."
2: Oh boy, I love that one, Chris. And the other thing you need to account for, it only gets worse, right, guys? It only gets worse, right, if you don't plan for it.
1: True. Good point. But I think the big thing, too, is like, you know, you got to remember the income you're going to need today is going to be more in the future. So everything that you have, like if you have an annuity or you have something that's a fixed income throughout retirement, that's going to be the same amount of money year after year, but your expenses are going up and up and up because the cost of living is going up. So when you're building your portfolio, you have to think about having what we call inflation hedges in your portfolio. Because that's the beauty of having a stock portfolio is that income actually increases over time. You know, so you have to ask yourself, do I have an income increasing investment in my portfolio?
3: You know, Dan, Ryan, I think that the general consensus is that gold is a great hedge against inflation. But the thing that people forget is that gold doesn't pay a dividend. It doesn't pay out any income.
1: Yes, exactly. Now, Bob said he likes gold because if he shines it enough, he can see his reflection and it makes him feel really good about himself. So I don't know how that correlates, but that's a good point. I mean, gold is a lousy long-term investment. You know, last time I looked, Bob, everyone's talking about it's at a new high. Well, it's just getting back to the prices it was almost a decade ago.
2: Yeah, it's amazing that gold has been one of the worst performing asset classes. And as I always say about gold, you know, it doesn't pay a dividend. You can't carry it around; cause it's too heavy. So then you got to pay somebody to store it for you and you can't eat it.
1: Exactly right. So yeah, I think the bottom line here is, as you're building your income plan for financial independence or retirement, plan for more, don't plan for less. You've got to figure out exactly how you're going to fill in that income gap. You have to figure out exactly how you're going to draw from your portfolio. It's probably going to be a mixture of income appreciation, but also you've got to figure out where to draw from your portfolio first. Is it your brokerage accounts? Is it your retirement accounts? And also you have to account for having income that adjusts over time with the cost of living. So these are really important things that you want to make sure that you can answer as you're building that path to what we call financial independence. Hey, podcast listeners. So if you're enjoying our content and you're thinking you'd love to get a review of your finances, well, every single week, if you have over $500,000 and you qualify, myself, Bob, and Chris will put together for you our total financial master plan. It's a full plan where we actually address all these questions. We look at everything from like, what do you need to spend in retirement? What is that income gap you need to fill in? How do you optimize your portfolio for taxes and how exactly you're going to draw from your portfolio over your lifetime, factoring in inflation? So, if you'd like to get a further review on your money, click on the link below or you go to www.paynecm.com. That's P A Y N E, dot com slash financial plan. You can go and see if you qualify for a full complimentary financial review. All right, it's time for the hidden facts of finance, gentlemen. And I use that term loosely, of course just the random financial facts that may surprise or shock you on the street of dreams this week. And the first one that I found is when Exxon was the largest company in the S&P 500 in 2010, not that long ago, the largest five companies made up less than 11% of the index. Today, the five largest companies make up nearly 23% of the entire S&P 500.
2: Hey, Rye, I believe it because you know I've been around this industry for a long time and it wasn't that long ago where a client didn't want any other investment but Exxon and now all they want is Amazon. So I guess anything that ends with an on, you don't want to own.
1: Huh. Yeah. It's like that old Dr. John song. I was in the right place at the wrong time. I think those bank stocks, they're the right stocks. It's just the wrong time to buy them. Very expensive here. Okay, Chris, buy and hold is dead. The average holding period of US stocks is down to five and a half months In the early 60s, the average holding period was actually eight years.
3: Well, you know, I heard a great quote one time, Ry, that don't confuse brains in a bull market. And the last time I checked, markets go up over time. So buy and hold is, in fact, not dead. I think, trying to time the market. As you said at one time, the Wall Street analysts make fortune tellers look good.
1: Well, the other thing too is, and with all the information we have today, it's actually making us bad investors. You think with all this information, we'd be better investors, but it's making investors make quick decisions. And we learned that holding longer usually works better. All right, Bob, if Congress passes another stimulus package, the final shortfall for 2020
2: could well eclipse
1: $4 trillion. What do you say about that?
2: Well, they keep it up pretty soon. We're going to be talking about real money. $4 trillion is nothing to you, Bob. <laughs> it's a lot
1: of money. Electric vehicles purchases could skyrocket from 3% of global auto sales to more than 30% within the next five to eight years. You buying a Tesla, Chris?
3: Yeah, you know what, Ryan? It kind of goes along with the point Dad made earlier about Exxon being the largest company of the S&P back in 2010. And look at it today. It's not even a blip on the radar. Yeah, I think electric vehicles definitely could be a way of the future. And I certainly could see myself driving
1: one. All right, man. I'll be waiting for a ride in your Tesla, your new Tesla soon. Bob, the last one here is the S&P 500 is 9% above its 200-day moving average. Similar to what it was before the COVID debacle, However, as of last week, gold and silver are trading 44% above their respective 200 day moving average. Do you think gold and silver are getting a little overpriced here?
2: Well, you know, this is why these facts are so fascinating. First of all, gold is getting back to the price it was back in 2011. Silver still isn't close and it's, you know, it's up huge over the last couple of weeks. That doesn't smack a speculation and risk. I don't know what does. Well, I did have a client
1: that asked me to sell all of their bonds and buy gold last week. So I feel like that might be the sign of a top. And it looks like it is selling off a little bit as of this recording. So I guess we shall see what happens. All right, Bob and Chris. Well, another great episode. If you want to learn more about our firm, Pain Capital Management, simply go to BeBullish.com. That's BeBullish.com. You can subscribe to our podcast and you can check out, as I always like to say, if Bob's hair is real, but don't you believe it. It absolutely is. Go to BeBullish.com. Great episode. And we'll be back again,
0: three pains in a pot. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management.